0: Okay, good afternoon everyone. It's really great to see you here. Thank you so much for coming when there's so much other sort of tempting things to do. And um, and I really hope this session will be really useful for you. Um, If if you saw me last night and would I lie to you, then I'll just have to give an an apology um, for my singing. It was all part of the act. um, But if you didn't, then that won't mean anything to you. Today, um, well, to introduce myself and other speakers, my name is Miles Jarvis. I work for um, work for Commission full time. And if you ever if you ever want to wonder at the mystery of God's plan for your life, then come and ask me about my career pathway and how I ended up doing this because it's quite quite unusual. But. Um, one of my responsibilities and one of my passions is um, I work across our global family looking at how we care for the poor, how we care for the needy, the, the oppressed, those in need. Um, it's something that's always been on my heart all the way through, right back to when I trained as a nurse, originally back in my 20s and worked overseas in sort of cross-cultural mission, setting up kind of health programs and that sort of thing. One of the things I really came to realize actually over those years was the, um, the church is the, is the answer for relieving poverty in a community. You know, God places a church in a in a, um, in a particular location for a reason, and that is to see that community touched and impacted by the love of God and the love and the love of Christ. And and that's really at the heart of what we want to say as well today, is that as we go in, as we talk about sort of being equipped and being, um, you know, being being impactful in the work that we do. Um, the verse I want to start with and end with is the, is the one from Isaiah 61, which talks about the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord being on you to preach good news to the poor. And I think the first part of that verse is so important, you know, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord needs to be on on you and on us as we go and do the work that He's called us to do. It's, it's from there that we get the, the equipping, actually, and so we want to make space at the end of this seminar for, for a kind of response. Um, so it's very, it's very much a privilege to speak on this subject this afternoon. As you'll, as you'll know, it's a, it's a subject that's very close to God's own heart, and we'll see that a bit more in a minute. Um, but very close to my heart, a privilege to speak on it. And I feel something of, as I was preparing for today, I felt it's a really a real kind of holy ground moment. I'm going to start speaking more and more quickly as uh, we're going to get through in half the time. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So it's a holy moment. It's this holy ground we're stepping into here. I mean that with real seriousness. This is something that's on God's heart. And so it's something that we really want to kind of give ourselves to. So... I would say open your own heart this afternoon, be open to what God wants to do in you. I don't know why you're here today, you may have been dragged along, you may have come into the wrong tent, you may be looking for somewhere to sit down, it's maybe something that's on your heart and be something that you really kind of pump with, it's why you're here, it's what you're most excited about. And for everyone here I would just say open your hearts to God this afternoon, be ready to hear what he might have to say, both through what we teach but also what we, what we respond to later. It's great to introduce Stephen D. If you could just jump up, you guys, just for a minute. Um, these guys lead all the community action work in Honiton. Yeah, let's give them a welcome. They lead a number of projects um, in Honiton, uh, just down the road, actually, and have been there for sort of, 12, 13 years. They're, they've got some great stories to share, some great lessons that we can learn from as well. What we're going to do over the next kind of, hour and a half, uh, we're going to look at the, the heart and the how of working with the poor. Um, so we're going to dig into a bit of scripture, we're going to hear some stories, and, um, and really want to kind of lay a good kind of foundation from which we can build how we should be working to be more impactful. Um, because of time challenges, some of these subjects we're going to kind of just, just mention and move on. Um, there isn't really time to give them, you know, they'd be kind of day-long subjects or even week-long subjects in themselves. As we look later on, we're going to look at sort of issues like such as kind of dealing with disappointment, um, how to set boundaries, how to get things started. Those kind of very practical things um, you could actually spend a long time on. So if you want more specific, specific information, then just come and chat to us afterwards. Um, there's, you know, If we can point you in the right direction to other things, we'd be really happy to do that. Before we get started, um, I want to recommend, there's always like a book recommendation, and I want to recommend three books, but it's a book recommendation with a difference. Can you put your hand up if it's your, if it's your first time at West Point? Wow, there's loads of you. Brilliant. Welcome. Great to see you. Um, I'm, now, And what, I rec- what I'm going to recommend here is a book that's just been published by Jubilee Plus um, called A Church for the Poor. It only came out last month. Um, keep your hands up for those who haven't been here before. First, first West Point ever. So I'm just going to come down, actually, because I am much space for the microphone, there's a copy for you to enjoy. Um, they, they have other copies in the bookshop. It's a really fantastic read. Um, there's, a cha- there's a chapter in there on sort of, you know, British materialism, cynicism, and, and one of the ism, which I can't remember. But it really does kind of challenge you. Individualism. Thank you. Um, okay. Who's been here for all eight West Points? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> I've got a book here, so keep your hand up if you've not read this book, When Helping Hurts. Keep your hand up. Right, right at the back. Lady of the ice cream right at the back. Can we um let's get this back to you? Well done. All eight West points. That is quite something. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. When Helping Hurts is a really challenging read and it's kind of undone me whenever I've read it. I've read it two or three times. And uh, and there are lessons there which, um, which the authors speak of, which I know, I've, you know, when you look at it, you, when I read it, I just cringe with how, you know, what I've done in the past. But it's a great, challenging read. And then, uh, so who is here despite hating camping? <laughs> Who's going to admit that? <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, I've got another book for you. And another book I recommend. It's called Embracing the Poor. Um, it's actually a New Frontiers publication. You can get it on Amazon. I'm not sure if they have it in the bookshop. They've got the other ones here if you want the other ones. Um, this is a kind of a New Frontiers publication, which, um, which was written probably a few years ago now, but really gives a great um, kind of theological and biblical foundation for how we, how we care for the poor. So I recommend you can get those books over in the book store. I would recommend them. They're really great. Just finally, before we get started, on the front row here, there are some resources. Um, just pointing to a conference that Jubilee Plus are running. Jubilee Plus is kind of a New Frontiers national group that works specifically to help um, churches work with the poor in the U.K., they run a conference every year, um, really worth getting along to if you can. There's some information there, and there's some other kind of publications that we've, we've put together over, over the years, just short things to read. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's start off. We're going to start off by looking at the heart, our heart. And, um, and before I even start that, I just want to pray for a moment. Um, as I said, just we're coming to a kind of a holy moment, really. This is something that's precious in God's eyes. Um, and the fact that you've actually taken the time to come this afternoon, sit in a boiling hot marquee. And uh, and avoid other temptation just shows this is something you know that kind of resonates with you as well. So I just want to pray for us and um, pray for our time together that God would move on us. So, so let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for uh, your heart for us. We thank you for what you did for us. We thank you for, um, for the sacrifice you made, for, for coming down, Lord Jesus, for paying the penalty, Lord, that we could know you. And Lord, I thank you that we are all on a level playing field before you, Lord God, that you rescued us, you've redeemed us. And Father, we pray this afternoon that your spirit will be here, Lord God, moving on us, more moving in people's hearts. Lord, we pray for people to be impacted so that the people they're working with will be, will be impacted for, for your good and for your glory. So come Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this afternoon. We pray your blessing on us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I want to start off with looking very quickly at our kind of biblical foundation for you know, kind of God's heart for the poor. Um, and it's important that what's on God's heart shapes ours, right? You know, I think what we, um, you know, hearing just from Andrew Wilson last night, this is something that is, echoes right the way through the Bible of a kind of a heartbeat of God is, um, is, is actually a care for the poor. And it gives us a foundation. It gives us a foundation for um, for, uh, for, how we, for how we actually should work as well. So it's very kind of, it underpins what we do, and then it also points to how we should do it, which is, which is fantastic. So how many verses in the Bible relate to poverty, do you think? Any ideas? Somebody says 200. Go a bit higher. 500 higher. 1,000. I hear higher than 1,000. 2,000. Yeah, okay. So, so about 2,000 verses in the Bible relate to caring for the poor. Um, and that just shows, shows me that there's, there's just, this is something that you see right through every single type of book in the Bible. So going right through from the law, through the, through the prophets, through the Old Testament, right through into the New Testament, all the letters, um, Jesus' life. It is something that we see echoed right the way through. And I'm not going to go through all of those 2,000 verses this afternoon, you'll be very glad to hear, but I want to pick one from kind of each part of the Bible just to illustrate the kind of the weight that God puts, puts on this. So the first one, I just, I'm just going to read a few out, um, because I think the Bible speaks, speaks for itself. So Deuteronomy 15, let me read these verses out, let them kind of settle with you. And this is, this is the commandment, this is God's law to his people who are supposed to demonstrate God's love um, um, in the world. It says, If there's a poor man among you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, rather be open-hearted, open-handed, give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. So you can see there, that's, that's just a commandment. That's pure and simple. Be command, you're commanded to be open-handed and to care for the poor and needy. If we move through into the prophets, and we don't need to kind of spiritualize this. If you read any of the prophets, they kind of thunder against um, injustice. They thunder against kind of the neglect of the poor, don't they? You just Any, verse, any of the prophets you pick up will, will do that. And the the point I want to make from the prophets is is this: that they they, they've fulfilled their responsibility by bringing the word of God to his people. It's now our responsibility to to respond to that um, and bring it to practical light. And so, so those words that are brought need to be birthed. And we see an example of that in Acts 11, where a prophet called Agabus um, foretold of a famine coming in Jerusalem, and uh, and and so the you know, the early church leaders took that seriously, and they took the word of God and used that to shape a response that they took up, and they took up an offering, as you, as you read about. The point being that they, they took the word from took the word from God and was worked out into their vision and into the priority of the early church. Um, I mean, there's so many of the prophets I could go into here, you know, but there's, um, there's one I want to just pick out, which is Isaiah 58, which um, is kind of the context of this this verse, is, um, is God speaking to his people who are in exile. They were sort of they were complaining about God not moving. They were kind of observing all these religious festivals and doing all the right kind of stuff outwardly, but it was their heart that God was wanting to catch hold of, and this is his response to their complaining. So, and then kind of note at the end what happens when they actually do respond in the right way. It says in Isaiah 58, verse 6, is, this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. So you can see right the way through there, there's a, you know, if there's a right heart response, there's, about, there's a number of, then I will do this, then I will do that, then I will do the other. Um, and so you see it's, this is just on God's heart all the way through. And it needs to be not just a strong word from the prophets. We actually need to do something with it. Um, and when you, look at, you know, when you look at what we should be doing, that's, you know, the, the responsibility that comes down to us. There's a, the following verse in Isaiah 59 says, The Lord looked on his people and was displeased. There was no justice. There was no one to stand in the gap. So this is something that he's looking to us to, to respond to. And as we move on, I mean, there's so much more I could say about, you know, going to the Psalms and Proverbs. Let's move on to the New Testament. Um, there's the example of Jesus, his whole life. He was told, went around doing good and healing. Um, so his life, his teachings, his example to us is um, something we'll pick up on a little bit later. Um, there's a lot to learn from Jesus just in practically how we, how we do this. So overall, this kind of gives us an insight into God's heart. Um, how he instructed his people to live, and how he called them back to that plumb line when they strayed. And I just, I mean, again, there's this kind of sense of urgency and passion that you hear through the prophets and through God's law for this. Um, and so it's something we need to kind of be carrying, carrying ourselves. So, just quickly then, so how did the early church respond to this? Uh, you know, what was the heart of the apostles? What was the heart of the early church? Um, one of the most powerful passages, again, is in, uh, is in Galatians 2, um, verse 9 to 10, where, where Paul is meeting the other apostles, the other disciples, after 14 years of ministry. And the single thing they exhorted each other to do was this. It says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me, Paul, and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And, uh, you know, even hearing Andrew Wilson last night, he's saying again, look, you know, there are some things that we can be confused about. This is something we don't have to be confused about at all. Um, this is something that just echoes right through the whole of the Bible. Okay. One last verse I just want to bring to you, which I find incredibly challenging. Um, and just to help you see kind of the priority of this. In 1 John 3, it says, If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's so challenging, isn't it? That passage, just to kind of, if you just let those words kind of sink into you and think about how you, how you act, how you, how you treat others, how you walk around your daily lives. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So that a very, very quick sketch through kind of God's heart. I just wanted to lay that in at the beginning as a kind of a foundation for all that we do because that helps inform how we then work and what we then do practically. We need to stay close with our plumb line, which is the plumb line of Scripture. So I'm going to move on now to Steve who's going to talk about your own heart, your own heart response to this.
1: Hello. Good afternoon. Um, so I just want to... Uh, really ask the question what has God spoken to you personally and uh, the scripture I'd like to bring to this to start with is Luke 2:19, where the shepherds go to Joseph and Mary with the news that the angel had brought uh, regarding the birth of a savior and it says now all were amazed but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart And so it's important to wait for God to open the door for any ministry or project. What are you pondering in your heart? And has the Holy Spirit given you a dream or a vision for the future? Um, And Dee and I keep a record of what we believe God has spoken to us through either through uh, reading the Bible or prophetic words that have been spoken to us. We store those up and we sort of put them on a shelf and wait for God to, to uh, work in our lives and, and uh, so the whole thing unfolds uh, and we can look back then and see these words and say God has done this it's not because we've it really initiata- initiated it we just followed his leading and seen things happening and we'll talk about that a, uh, a bit later um, are you prepared for the cost either to wait or to act because they both have a cost to them We know a lady who soon after she became a Christian said to God, "Um, I'll serve you in any way, but please not with sex workers, anything but them. Um, She is now uh, very fulfilled, going out every weekend in the middle of the night um, and providing uh, practical, emotional and spiritual support to vulnerable ladies on the streets in southern Spain. Compassion for the poor, however we define poverty... Is the hallmark of all that we are and do. It is the gospel. In his book, Toxic Charity, Robert Lupton says this, Mercy without justice creates dependency and entitlement. Preserving the power of the giver over the receiver, justice without mercy is cold and impersonal, more concerned with rights than relationship. Shall I read that again? Yes, okay. Mercy without justice creates dependency and entitlement, preserving the power of the giver over the receiver. Justice without mercy is cold and impersonal, more concerned with rights than relationship. And these are two important aspects of God's character, justice and mercy. And in a strange twist of divine irony, those who extend mercy discover that they themselves are in need of mercy. Out of our own need, we are readied for service that is both humble and wise. Um, I would relate to that. Um, at the first West Point, so I've been to everyone at the first West Point, um, I felt that God was asking me to uh, go out on the streets and work with guys with addictions. Um, and I said, how? And he said, start with the people you know. Um, being a bit cautious, he had to tell me again. And I learned three things. I actually went out and I had coffee with these guys. And um, I learned learned in three areas of my life and my heart was changed in these areas. So one is I learned more about the guys. I asked them what their hopes, their aspirations, what their fears, their anxieties, how they lived day to day or didn't, uh, what their family support was like, backgrounds were like. Um, And I was amazed and privileged to hear a lot of their life being unpacked to me. The second thing is I learned more about God's heart for them, um, that his, his sorrow, that they weren't with him, part of his family. Um, uh, he gave me more compassion for them and uh, more love for them. Um, and the third is I learned more about myself, about some of those hidden or maybe not so hidden prejudices, some of those things that, that are uh, just within that, that need to be unpacked. Um, but, but also I learned... Um, my absolute dependence on God for what I was doing. That actually, there's no, I can't go again if I'm not being re-resourced. That compassion, my own compassion soon runs out, and I have to be re-resourced by God to go again. And uh, does anybody uh, watch um, Dragon's Den? Anybody watch that? Okay, so this season they've introduced two new dragons. into into the mix and one of them a lady I saw a short interview with her on Breakfast TV and she says um, she recruits for attitude and trains for skills and as soon as I heard that I thought that's how Jesus chose his disciples he recruited for their attitude for their heart and then he trained them for the for skills and, and working through so Jesus is not looking for us to be terribly skilled to start with He's looking for our heart that's moved towards him and to the poor.
0: Thanks, Steve. That, I mean, that's such an important point, our own heart. And I think the, the point in giving out some of those books at the beginning is is actually uh, the more we kind of look into this and, and, work, and think these things through. It, it's your own heart that gets challenged about your own attitude towards others. Um, another very good book which challenged me to the core. One which is mentioned to called "Toxic Charity," um, which was written by a guy in the states, but very, very applicable to here. Um, talks about our, our own heart and the way we work and the way we might look. I'll talk about this in a moment. Um, about fixing people and doing things to people. Um, and another book um, talk called, called "The Myth of the Undeserving Poor." Which um, again is a, a recently, quite recently written book about um, about our own, it's about our own heart and our own attitude, really, um, particularly focusing on the UK. And they, they talk in there about something called the proximity principle, that if you want to find out about something about an an issue, say say people caught up in addiction, don't stand far off and make a judgment, go and get to know some people who are addicted, who have got those problems, so you can actually get alongside them, understand them, see them as God sees them. And yeah, as, as Steve has said, that, ch- that challenges your own heart. You see, actually I am so in need of God's mercy more and more. And so, so I think our own attitude is is massively important and something we want to just kind of draw draw you know draw out a little bit more. Um, as we kind of go from into kind a of bit more of a sort of practical, you know, we're moving into sort of from okay, we've seen the plumb line of the the plumb line in the Bible of God's word to us going to look at how that then helps shape our values, our values being, the th- you know, the way we do things, the way we actually do, it might, might sort of put it, start it, putting things together. Um, what are the values that are important to us, how we take what God has shown as an imperative and put it into something that's kind of practical. Again, lots to say on this, but I want to just kind of focus on three things, um, and then I'm going to hand over to Dee, um, who's going to do a few more practical things on lessons we can learn from Jesus' life in this. The first thing, the first value I want to draw out is empowerment, not dependency empowerment, not dependency. Now, those are probably buzzwords that are maybe a little bit overused, probably. But I think one of the challenges that we face, particularly in our culture, is that we are very much a fix-it culture. We see a problem, we want to go and do something about it, we want to go and fix it, we want to make it better. Um, You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it helps get us into action, gets us going. um, But it does mean that we think we can come in and sort a problem out. We're going to do that for you. Oh, there's a problem there. I'm going to come and I know what you need to do. I'm going to come and fix that for you it can be very harmful, actually. Um, so, so actually, it's, it's useful, again, just to st- take a step back and say, well, what is, you know, rather than being shaped by our own cultural values and our, our own cultural attitudes, let's see what God's heart is. Are the poor simply a set of people that, that we go and do things to and do things for? Are they just a group of people that need to be looked after? Um, actually, God's heart for, for anyone is that he wants to take them from a place of poverty and see, you know, Psalm 113 says he takes, takes people from, you know, the poor from the ash heap and seats them with princes. That's God's heart for the poor, to, for, to be on a journey as much as anyone else. So people aren't simply to be seen as a project or something to be done to. People are on a journey right through from abject poverty through to active mission to being oaks of righteousness. And there's a story in the Bible which really helps me with this to kind of see this is how it works out kind of practically um, and to see it, see it work out a bit more. So there's a story in 2 Kings 4, um, the widow's oil, which you're probably familiar with. But let me just read it out to you, and you can, we'll just pick out some of the important points at the end. Um, cause we, there's some really important things we can learn from this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So not not a dissimilar situation to many parts of the world today. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side." She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So what can we learn from this? First of all, Elisha asks the widow what he, can, what, what he can do to help, but he follows it by asking what she has in her, her house. So he immediately involves her in, in the solution. So instead of bringing a solution straight there and telling um, and, and bringing the thing, you know, what she needed, he involves her in the solution, getting her to participate, going around the local community that, is, that, that she is in using local resources, not handouts from the prophet himself. And, and there's another example in the Old Testament where God asks Moses, well, what have you got in your hand? Um, in Exodus 4. And so an important principle really for us is to look at what have people got? What resources have they got right in front of them? God can use anything to fulfill his purposes. So what we want to be doing is providing people with resources to be self-sustaining and self-governing, seeing people lifted up, being released into all that God has for them, giving them their own dignity and respect. So in everything we want to be digging wells, not laying pipes. If I use that kind of analogy, we want to dig into the resources that God's got rather than laying pipes you know maybe a funding maybe of, of, of whatever it might be a um, lot often funding into a situation which can be resourced and a much more sustainable locally so it's very important in our attitude in terms of how we work so It's not something we do for people but it's something we do with and that's why our, our even our, the way we think so if we say ministry to the poor actually we're saying ministry with the poor you know because that's so important just in terms of our own values and the way that we you know the way that we kind of work together and, and the way that Jesus treats people demonstrates this, which Dee will come into in, in a moment. If you think I'm wrong, then um, there's a very famous study done by the World Bank where they um, they interviewed, I think, over six thousand people um, who had been re- in receipt of aid. Um, and this was a con- these are consistent findings from around the world. So there's right right around the world. They said most aid is given too much. too much is given too fast. Very few people actually call for more aid. They want smarter aid. Um, the majority of people criticise the waste of money and other resources through programmes that are misguided, or where providers are not engaged with what the real needs are. Um, and, and often, assistance come as a, comes as a boost, kind of gives gives people a boost of energy and it kind of boosts their spirits. But over time, they become entrenched in kind of a system of dependence. So, just let me hold on that moment for a kind of in a kind of dependency kind of theme. If I were, if I were. Um, so just to land this in practical example, if, I, if if someone was asking me for some money, and I and I so say so, you Steve, he's, uh, Steve was asking me for some money, so I um I help him out, and I give him give him twenty quid, and uh, if he gives that to me, he'll be quite happy, he'll be he'll be probably be pretty appreciative, he'll be quite happy with that, he'll be probably say thank you, you know, and be be happy. Note. But the next time he sees me, there'll be a bit of an air of anticipation. Is he going to do the same thing again? Is it going to work? Is he going to do the same thing? So it becomes like anticipation then. Then very quickly after anticipation comes a sense of, kind of expectation. This is going to be done for me now. So at the moment he sees me, give him some more. And then from expectation you move on to sort of an entitlement. I'm now entitled to this. You know, I'm I'm used to this system. I'm used to these kind of handouts. I'm used to it. And so you move quite quickly into expectation. And then sorry, take it away. Um, take it. You then go from 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 a kind of entitlement right through to kind of dependency and, it, and that's when charity becomes toxic because you've just kind of robbed someone of their own dignity their own self-esteem their own ability to be involved in their own solution um, and so it just becomes um, a, a toxic charity as, um, as is described so what it does is it kind of robs people of their self-esteem so, really, we want to come with the attitude of, of being a football coach, you know, coming in to, alongside to encourage, support, train, offer some assistance, give skills, not coming in like a white knight in shining armor, thinking, duh, 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 coming over the hillside, I'm going to kind of, I know all the answers to your problems, and I'm going to come and solve them all for you because you don't know how to do it yourself anyway. You know, we can have that attitude inadvertently. And if you don't think you have, I would suggest you take a minute just to check yourselves because I constantly have to do this. Um, and you constantly have to kind of step back and say, actually, what is my attitude here? Is it reflecting God's heart for this person? And actually, the Bible, the Bible does talk about um, giving people resources, giving people op- opportunities for res- using their own resources. So there's a law, um, another law of God is called, um, in Leviticus, it's called the gleaning principle, which you may have read about, which says, when you reap the harvest of your land, is Leviticus 19, do not reap to the very edges of your field or pick up the gleanings of the harvest, do not go over the vineyard a second time. Leave, leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So actually God gives a, a model for how we should be doing this, a, a model of kind of sustainable development where people are drawn into their own, finding their own solutions. Okay. So I think the idea of empowerment, not dependency, is massively complicated whether in the UK, whether overseas, in different contexts. But it's something we need to always have at the back of our mind. It's a value that's really important to us, to check our attitudes, to check that actually what we're doing you know, is building empowerment in people, building their capacity, not creating inadvertently a dependency. And it's not to doubt anyone's heart and how they want to care, how they feel compassion, but actually let's make sure that it's smart in how we're doing it. So the second one I want to mention is do no harm. Florence Nightingale. It's one of her first rules for any any training nurses back in the day when she was when she was doing that. She said, first, first of all, do no harm to your patients. It may sound like a fairly obvious thing to do. Um, don't harm anyone you're supposed to be caring for. And actually, it's the same principle for us. We need to make sure that we don't actually harm the people that we that actually we feel God's put on our hearts to care for. The world is littered with half finished, kind of half baked aid projects. Actually, whether you, and, and whether you, in, in any country you go to, so it's really important that any kind of ministry that we get involved with that we set up actually demonstrates good practice you know God said when he, when he created the world in Genesis 1 God saw it was good you know his creation is good and we want to our, the way we work we want to reflect the way he works um, and, and also in 1 Corinthians it says you know in 1 Corinthians it says whatever you do do it for the glory of God so we want to be working to, to, to good standards um, and there's a lot of information out there a lot of resources that we can actually access to help us with that Despite that, we still have kind of projects that are not thought through. Um, so there was an example of a, of a condom distribution project in South Africa. There's something to kind of combat the spread of HIV and AIDS. And uh, this, this program came up with the idea that what they would do, they would distribute condoms, but, the way that, but also they wanted to train people on how to use them. So they stapled instructions to the condoms that were handed out. I'll let that one settle in. So that's a comically bad way of, of, of doing something that actually should be very, very good or they can be tragic. I remember once visiting a, a hospital in, in, uh, in South India um, in a very, very rural area um, where a church group had gone and they'd started to build a hospital where there was no other healthcare at all. So you can imagine the, the kind of the feelings of expectation and excitement that would've been building up in the local community. Actually, we haven't got to take our children, our pregnant you know, mothers you know, over to a long way off to a, to a hospital. There's gonna be one built here. The tragedy is the hospital was never finished. The physical structure went up, but no one actually came to staff it. There was no plan for it being used, and and just gradually over years and years, it fell into, into ruin. And now you know there's weeds surrounding it this high, and it's just a tragedy on both sides. There isn't it? You've got a do- you've got people who've given faithfully to see something happen, and then on the other side you've got the ex the feel the, you know the, the kind of the impact on the people who we were wanting to care for, um you know not not wrong feelings at all. It was perfectly right. But actually not finishing it off which is just gonna ruin people's expectations for the future. Um, and, and actually inoculates people, you know, who come to do any future things as well. So that's just tragic. Some Something, something's just badly planned or badly thought through. So again, this is kind of a cross-cultural example, but um, so there's a, um, you know, a, a story told of a, a community that needed a well, or that, that, that was, was visited by a team of people who thought the community needed a well. Um, what was happening is the women there were getting up very early in the morning, having to walk probably a couple of hours to get some water and then walk all the way back. Um, so this team thought, hey, I know what, we know what we can do. We can come and solve this for them. We can come in and build a borehole. So they came in, they bought a borehole, dug down. They were really excited about it. Um, it was all working beautifully. So they, went, they left the community having done this and then went back home, came back a year later, no one using it. They wondered why, dug around, Did a few, uh, asked a few people. Actually, they they've realized after actually talking to people there, the women liked the walk because it gave them a chance to catch up with their friends, to hear the latest gossip, and actually to go around and actually hear. You know, so they hadn't actually heard what the issues were in the community. They actually wanted the walk. And you know, another, um, another story, another water story, actually. Again, the similar situation. A, a team came in, thought they, this village needed a, some water supply. They dug down a borehole, a well. Um, went away again feeling very pleased with themselves, went back a year later, it was broken, not being used, not being fixed. Um, and so they they fixed it, went away again. Actually, they came back another year, it was it was broken again. But they were just, the, the, the community had never owned the solution that was given to them. It was just handed out to them. So they, well, we can't fix it. It's not ours. It's your well. You come and fix it. Um, and actually, there's an example of that happening where they wrote to the church back in the US who had done this, said, your well is broken. Please, can you come and fix it? So all they can just be, just be dangerous there was a there was a scheme in in afghanistan where um humanitarian rations were packaged up in small yellow packages probably about you know size you know something you can hold and written in in english you know you know um rations package and then um, it was also the same size and colour, um, just different wording in English, about the size of a soda can in your hand was a, um, was a little a small bomb. that if it went off, it would kill, people, kill everyone within a 50-metre radius. And actually, this, you know, kids would go on and pick these things up with imaginably awful um, consequences. So just again, something just not being thought through. So if you can't read English, you don't know whether it's a bomb or whether it's, whether it's rations. And that, unfortunately, is the reality of how some of these projects are actually outworked. Um, and so what we want to do is make sure that what we do, whatever scale it is, is done to a good standard. Whatever it is we're doing. Um, and it's not like there's a lack of resource out there. You know, there's people doing things um, that we can learn so much from. Um, whatever it is we're doing. And you'll typically find that, find someone who has got the same passion as you. And they will share whatever they know. They'll be only too happy to help you in what you want to do. Okay, the third value. So we've had empowerment, not dependency. We've had um, working to a high standard, doing no harm. And then the third one, just in terms of what's got to be central in terms of all that we do is the gospel. The gospel is our kind of unique contribution, isn't it? The gospel. Um, we're not the social services, although often what, what the church does could be, could be argued to be that. But the gospel should be at the heart of all that we do. And if we're genuinely looking at people's lives being transformed, you know, to a kind of John 10, 10, life in all its fullness, the gospel needs to be at the heart of all that we do. We need people to encounter Jesus. He is the one that will bring the transformation. People need to see in us there's something different about the way we work, the way we, the way we react, the way we act, the way we behave, the way we treat people. Um, it's got to be evident in our own lives. You know? um, the way we treat people tells people about Jesus. Um, so even if, you, even if someone asks you for money on the street and you don't give anything to them, the way you treat them is still important. It doesn't mean you don't act gracefully towards that person. And what, and what we need to realise is that whatever we do, wherever we go, we're always witnessing to something. The question is, to whom are we, are we witnessing? So, there's, a, um, there's an example of, a, of another water project, actually, in, um, in the Sahara Desert, where the community watched a soil scientist and a hydrologist at work. So, these are two kind of scientists, kind of studying soil chemistry, studying hydrological surveys, trying to find out where the best place to put you know, water sources were. Um, and the, when they were asked, what are those two men doing, the community said, well, they're witch doctors obviously they're witch doctors and um, one's consulting the spirits of the earth and one's consulting the spirit of the water try and find the water they're reading magic scripts um, just as their are their own witch doctors do and then when they're asked if the witch doctors were any good they said yeah these guys are really good because they always find the water they're better even than our own witch doctors so and sometimes it's not enough to even say that we're Christians we have to kind of give a bit we have to give a bit more of an explanation so there's, there's examples of, of, of Christian work being done in kind of Buddhist or Muslim countries where actually people explain it away with their own kind of Buddhist explanation or their own Muslim explanation. They don't point to Jesus, even if you just say, oh, we're Christians. They think, oh, no, you're, you're just doing it because you want a job, because you're an aid worker. You're doing it because you want to, be, you want to have success in your next life. So, you know, they put their own interpretation on why you're doing things. So, so it's, we have to be really careful about how we're actually presenting the gospel and what we do. Um, so at the bottom, the bottom line of that really is, you know, we need to be careful about like, who's getting worshipped at the end of the day. And what we put at the centre of the programme at the beginning is what's going to get worshipped at the end. Now, obviously, there's sensitivity in that. We want to, be, you know, be really, really careful, um, you know, that we're not just kind of, you know, throwing the gospel into people and not, not trying to provide any, you know, kind of help. Um, you know, Jackie Pullinger, who is, um, you probably recognise the name Jackie Pullinger, she went to work, It's called to work amongst drug addicts in, um, in Hong Kong. She said she had no success in telling people about Jesus until she became Jesus to them. So that just illustrates the idea of kind of holistic, what we call kind of holistic mission or integral mission, the idea of the Great Commission going alongside with the Great Commandment. The Great Commission, going into all the world, and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. Those two things go together. And that's described by John Stott. You know, we need to have these as they're two wings on a bird. To fly well, you need to be telling people about Jesus, but you need to be, need to be caring for them practically as well. Just before I finish up on this, I just want to mention kind of a note about working overseas. Um, it's a, you know, it can get much more complicated when we start to work cross-culturally. It really kind of tests our motives. Um, and sometimes there's a desire to, go, the desire to go and work somewhere else can be serving a need in ourselves rather than serving actually the people you think you're going to. Um, and there's something called the White Saviour Complex, which you may have heard of, which is kind of referring to kind of, you know, Western people, in inverted commas, thinking they're going to go along and fix the problems of uh, a struggling nation um and so it's often serving a need in ourselves rather than and rather than others so it's a good one to test um and test in yourself so we need to be careful when working cross-culturally okay so there's there's three important values um about how we work empowerment not dependency doing no harm so working to a high standard and the gospel as our kind of central ingredient i'm going to hand over to d now who's going to talk about six things that jesus did to help us kind of more practically as well
2: thank you hi um, I also think that we sometimes think that we can be the saviors here. I remember um, I was working with somebody and she came to church. And I was saying, aren't I great? You know, she's come to church. Isn't this wonderful? And she stood there and she raised her hands like I did. And God said to, said to me, she's just the same as you. You're not better than her. And I think sometimes we can think that we're better than the people that we're working with. And uh, certainly God had to had to speak to me about that. So... I'm not a biblical scholar but I thought if I'm really going to be doing this I need to know what Jesus did because Jesus is our our role model isn't he so I looked in the scriptures to see in 1 John 2 5 to 6 it says this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did so he's our role model. We would need to know what he did. In order to um, work with the poor, work with whoever we're working with, we need to know to support people what Jesus actually did. Number one, what did John Wimber, John Wimber, what did Terry Virgo talk about this morning? He talked about prayer. He talked about prayer. He said, God's mis- it's God's mission, not ours we're catching up with him. And I think what we need to do, just like Jesus did, is we need to pray. In Lu- uh, the scripture I've got is Luke 4, 40 to 44. Uh, Jesus was in Capernaum in the town of Galilee, and he'd been going around, he'd been healing people, he'd been driving out demons, he'd been doing a, a whole load of things. And then at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, he went and he prayed and he asked God what the next thing to do was and then he came down and all the people and all the people said to him are you going to stay please stay we want you to heal more people but actually Jesus said no i've got to go somewhere else people need to hear something else so he'd heard from God what he needed to do it's really important it's so difficult sometimes when you're caught up in what you're doing to think about praying because you've got this to do and that to do and that to do and we need to pray we need to constantly check sometimes I'm with people and they tell me this thing and they think oh my goodness and I think I, I say to God, what do you want me to do in this position? And I think it's so important that we have that connection just like Jesus did. Number two, please God, not man. Standing up here, I want you all to like me. Actually, I shouldn't care whether you like me. I would want to be doing what God is calling me to do at this precise moment. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. So check that our approval is God-centered. Again, do nothing by yourself. Make sure it's what God wants us to do. Number three, this term motivational interviewing, all these terms that we have. What it means is that Jesus asked questions in John 5, 1 to 8... There's a story of the crippled man at the Pool of Siloam. He wanted to be healed. But Jesus said, do you want to get well? He asked him the question. He gave him dignity. He asked him because if he got well, what would happen? he would have to think about his life in a whole completely different way. It's the same with the blind man in Luke 18, 35 to 43. He asked the blind man, the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Now that would seem a ridiculous question. But again, he was giving him dignity. He was saying, if you're not blind, what might happen? And and giving him the choice, actually, in that situation. We had somebody who was part of our... Our team and she was working on the local council estate and she decided to buy somebody some tiebacks for her curtains I would say that tiebacks are not actually the thing that people on council estates would be the first thing to buy that was kind of like a cultural thing that was something that she thought would be something really lovely that she would like what she didn't do was she didn't ask this person would you like tiebacks would you like me she actually bought them. We'll talk about that later. Would would you like me to do that for you? Give people dignity. Number four, Jesus encouraged ownership. This is linked to the above. So he asked questions. In Luke 7, 18 to 23, John was in prison and he sent his disciples and he said to, they said to Jesus, John wanted them to ask, are you the one who is to come? Now Jesus didn't say, yes, I'm the one who is to come. He said, what do you see? You see the blind giving back their sight. You see the lame walking. What do you see? He got people. This is what Mars was talking about. People need to make their own decisions. People need to make their own mistakes. We need to encourage people to draw their own conclusions, even if we disagree. We have a story about two ladies um, who we were supporting, both of whom got pregnant. Neither of them wanted to be pregnant. So what we did was we sat down and we talked to them. They were both in very different situations, I have to say. So we sat down and we talked to them and we said, this is what will happen if you have the baby. What will happen? So with her personal circumstances, this is what will happen. If you don't have the baby, this is what you will go through, and this is, these are the, the possible consequences of your decisions. One of them decided that she would keep the baby. The other one decided that she wouldn't. And so as a team, we supported her to go to the hospital, and we supported her to come back, and we are still supporting them as a family we didn't necessarily agree with that decision, but our job isn't to make people 's decisions for them our decision our, our job is to put options before people so that they can make their own decisions, giving them the dignity, just like Jesus did. number five we must be non-judgmental luke six thirty seven to thirty eight says do not judge, and you will not be judged. Encourage responsibility, and not, and not blame. We could really have blamed that lady, couldn't we? But we encourage responsibility, not blame, and build to everyone's strengths. Really important. There is always something that somebody is good at that you can encourage. Build to that. And number six. Do not rescue we talked about fixing people it's very easy i i had that attitude i want to go in and fix the world i want to go and make a difference i want to make it different different for everybody in the situations that i that i see but the story that i have is matthew 19 16 to 22 the rich young ruler who came to jesus and said what must i do to inherit eternal life um, and he'd done all the things that, that the law said that he would do. And then Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions. He went away. He went away. Now, Jesus didn't go after him and say, no, no, no. Hang on a minute. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean you to go away. Come on, we'll, we'll try and sort something out. We'll think about something different. Perhaps I didn't, perhaps I didn't say it properly. You know, we, we mustn't rescue. I've had situations I work with people with addictions, um, and I've had situations where I've had to say to people, if you carry on in this way, you will die. I had a situation where I said that to a lady, and I was in a coffee shop. She got up, she shouted at me, she slammed her coffee cup down. She didn't pay for her coffee, and she walked out. of. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? She didn't speak to me again for weeks. I I was really hurt, actually. Um, I thought, you know... But now, this lady, she's taken her, her addiction in hand and she doesn't drink anymore. She's got herself a job. And who knows, maybe, maybe what I said made a little bit of a difference. So do not rescue. Don't run after them. I woke up, I've been really nervous about doing this and I woke up the other night. I, I had slept and I woke up the other night and God said... You've got a bag. What have you got in the bag that is going to help these people? What I've got in the bag is I've got the Word of God and the Spirit. That's going to help you in your work with the poor. And what did Jesus do when he sent his disciples out? What did he send them out with? He said nothing. He said, don't take anything. But my my word and my spirit, that's what we need to do. And what happened when they came back? They'd seen people healed. They'd done all sorts of things because they'd done what God had wanted them to do. There's a scripture that says, Psalm 18, verse 29, with my God, I can scale a wall. And that's what you can do too.
0: Okay, thank you. Okay. We're we'll moving to into three kind of quick-fire things we're going to just look at now, some practical elements. Um, first of all, looking at kind of just perhaps kind of getting started. Um, and then we're going to look at dealing with boundaries and also dealing with disappointment. Um, two really important things, two really important aspects to this type of work. So just kind of getting started, you may be sitting there thinking, you know, how do I actually get the thing started that's on my heart? What do I, I, um, what, 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 what I do next? there are two really important things to consider with this. I'm going to just cover these two quite quickly. So kind of the first thing to look at is what is on your heart? You know, what what are the giftings? What are your passions? Um, What are you excited about? What are you you good at? Um, You know, with the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, we read about people who came who were skilled, um, but also they had skill and passion. It talks about in that passage. Um, and it talks about people whose heart moved them um, to come and lend their skills and their abilities and their gifts. And so I think, start, you know, looking at your own gifting and heart is actually a really important thing. They often go together. Often, you know, you're, um, you're good at something because you like doing it. Um, also, they can be God-given gifts and abilities. And also training can make a massive difference as well. So I would really want to underline the importance of training um, in anything that you, that you, um, you think about starting. So gifting can be shaped, but actually it's your heart and your passion that's really important. The other thing to consider is um, the second point is um, is kind of what's the need? You know, you need to understand what's going on in your local community or the community what you're, that you're trying to serve and to reach. Um, that can be a great place um, to start, actually, to, just to find out a little bit what's going on. You know, there's no point in setting up a leprosy project in, in Bournemouth, for example. There's, n- there's no need for that. Um, but to find out what's going on in a local town, um, sometimes you can, you can start by just responding to um, just to a need that you observe in the community. Or, um, and, so that, and that's very, very acceptable. But, but where do you start? Kind of you could start with a need, or you could start with what's on your heart and what you're gifted at. Um, you could argue that you could start either end, but, but the thing that will keep you going is your heart and your passion. You know, if, you're, if you haven't got the heart and the passion, when, you, when the going gets tough, and it will, at whatever point, it will get tough, whether, it, you know, and that will probably continue all the way through the life of something that you start, When it gets difficult, if you haven't got the heart and the passion keeping you going, maybe it's a word from God that's kept you going. Maybe it's something, you know, a prophetic word that just keeps encouraging you. If you haven't got that, then you're going to flounder pretty quickly. Um, So, yes, you need to serve the needs. Yes, you need to follow it, see what's going on, and and be smart about what you do. Maybe, you know, just find out what's going on. But actually, it's really important that you start with that gifting. Um, We... we, um, When we set up a a project in Uganda quite a few years ago, we we went to the local. um, I started off by just talking to the local health leaders saying, "Well, what are the needs? You know, we're we're a local church. We want to just uh, working with the local church. We want to come along and help and to see what you're doing, and uh, and maybe there's a way we can serve you." And and we started off by doing one program. We knew we wanted to get to something else. But actually, it was by doing this one program they really wanted some help with. Um, it was a mass treatment program for a certain illness they had there. And by doing that, that gave us a good relationship. It opened up doors of communication. It built up trust and credibility that enabled us to do this other program, this much more detailed long-term training program of village health workers. One opened the door to the other. Um, and actually, that was, going, that, was, that was a whole combination of a prompting by the Holy Spirit a kind of key meetings with key people being intentional about just finding out what was going on and but actually hearing the heart and what was going on at the heart of the people in the church saying this is what we really want to do this is what we have the heart for but sometimes there are a few doors along the way that we had to we had to go through Um, and that was which hit the real kind of underlying needs in the community so so really I would say yes find out what's going on yes hit a need that's there but if it's not matched by corresponding this resonates in my heart and I'm passionate about it then it's going to be difficult to sustain so I would say start with your heart what's God said to you where you work that out okay Steve I think or D you might be yes boundaries first I think let's set the boundaries for the meeting (laughs)
2: <laughs> I wasn't sure what we were doing. Okay, so I've got a couple of, a few do's and don'ts. This is based on Steven uh, Stephen mine, Steve our experience, really. So um, I did think if there were people from different cultures, it might be slightly different. Um, but anyway, number one, be aware of your own personal boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hate it? I hate it when people do this. And they stand there and they talk to you right in your face. Do you you like that? That that to me is a boundary. Some people don't mind that. I don't mind Steve being too close to me very often. But um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Personal boundaries. So now I've got glasses, it's actually quite easy for me because I can say, I can't see you. Would you mind stepping back? But I think you need to know your own personal boundaries. Do you mind people being there? Like I said, some people don't. Um, We have somebody on our team um, who works during the day and he says that he takes phone calls between 5 and 10 in the evening. Now, Steve and I don't do that. Steve and I say in the early evening, we stop and we don't take any phone calls from anybody after that. So people within your team or people might, might do things differently. But it's important that you try to set these boundaries before you start working with people because it's much more difficult to try and claw things back. If you say to yourself, I'm only going to meet people for an hour, then only meet people for an hour and, and try and do that. Say you've got something else to go to, you know, you need to pick up the children or you w- whatever, you, 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 you need to do that. Um, because it's very easy to stand with somebody and talk with them for hours and hours and hours and you will get overwhelmed and they will get overwhelmed. So think about the boundaries that you're going to put in place before you start working with the poor. Avoid situations that could be misinterpreted. In a town um, where we used to live, um, there was a very good-looking young vicar, and I saw him giving a lift to somebody with lots of shopping. This lady had thigh boots and a very short miniskirt it probably wasn't a good idea for him to do that on his own. Maybe if he'd had his wife in the car, that would have been a better idea. That could have easily be misconstrued. We need to be very careful what we do. So Steve and I, I work with the ladies, Steve works with the men. Steve and and I might work with a lady together or pray with a lady together or or talk to them, but it's very important that you have those kind of boundaries. I was going to tell you the story about somebody else in another church. a long way away from here, who we were praying for a lady who had a backache. And they sa- and he said to her, I was praying with him, with this lady, and they said, where is the backache? And she said, oh, it's down here. So he promptly put his hand on her bottom and started praying. Now, I would say that's a boundary that you should not, should not do, and that's why quite often when you pray for people, you, you hover around the area, don't you, I think? Um, very important that you think about those kind of boundaries as well. Um, think before you say yes, because your emotions might get in the way. For example, um, I, Steve and I were on our day off. Um, we were in the car. Um, I broke lots of boundaries that day. I had my, usually on my day off, I switched my phone off. On that day, my phone was on. I had a phone call and I looked down and it was a couple that we support. Um, I should not have answered it, but I did, so I broke two of my own boundaries there. I answered this phone, and the, the, the lady, oh, no, it was the man, said to me, Dee, he said, we've been invited to a party. We haven't been to a party in I don't know how many years. It's tonight, and you are the only person that we trust to look after our children. So immediately I thought, "Woo, are oh, I'm the only person who could look after. I'm so much better than anybody else. I will do it, was what I wanted to say. Steve was in the driving seat and he was going, no, no, you're not to do it. It's your day off. And he was quite right. But it's so easy for your own emotions to get over that boundary that you've actually placed. So be very careful that you don't say yes to things like that. Do remember that the main focus of the relationship is the needs of the person that you are with. It's not about you. It's not about you being friends with them. It's not about you being a wonderful person and everybody thinking you're a wonderful person. It's about the needs of that person that you're with. Tim Keller says, True courage is this is more important than me. And sometimes I want to be the most important thing. This is more important than me. As a a team, we don't give our home phone numbers or addresses out to people that that we support in any way. Um, That actually gives you an emotional tie with that person, if you do that. If you take the other person to your home and give them a meal, there becomes a a different sort of relationship. So if you're taking on a mentoring type relationship, which Steve and I do with the people that, that we support, then, then it would not be a good idea to take them to your own home. Unless they become Christians and become involved in your church and then it's a completely different ball game. Again, it's a, don't get emotionally over, over-involved, I said that. Don't meet too often, if you keep meeting someone. We had a member of our team who kept ringing up, somebody kept ringing up, kept ringing up. Wasn't very helpful, I don't think, because actually you're, not, you're saying, I'm the answer. Not You haven't got the answers to your needs. We talked about giving money to people. We would say don't give money to people because then that means that you are in control of another person. If you give money or you give something, then that person feels sort of obliged to you until they get to the point where it's a right, like like, um, was said before. Make sure that that if, if there is a need, then you go through somebody to whom you are accountable Um, and and then it is done through the church funds so that nobody, they can't say well that person gave me money or that person gave me money so there's no codependency, there's no over dependency on yourself the other thing is it's really important to have procedures and protocols I know we all get a bit bored of those, Steve and I are activists, we're not very good at all the organisation but it's really important to have those things because they're there to protect you Make sure you have them for whatever you're going to be doing. And then there are three things that I think are important to think about when you're working with, say, one person. So is there a risk to me? Is there a risk to that person? Is there a risk to anybody else? So if you ask somebody to come and clean your house who, is, who um, has an addiction problem, There could be a risk to yourself. There could be a risk to them. They could find your drinks cabinet and go back in. Or there could be a risk to your son who just happens to walk in whilst whilst that lady is there cleaning your house. So think about those things as well.
0: Thank you, Dee. Thanks, Dee. OK, just with in terms of um, in terms of managing time, you'll be disappointed to hear we can't deal with disappointment. Um, but actually, if the, in all seriousness, if, if, if that is a, an issue that you want to chat through with, with Steve or, D or myself or Pauline at the end, if it's a, a specific thing, please do come and come and chat to us. Um, I want to finish off this session before we look at a response um, with um, we're going to race through these as uh, 10 top tips in 10 minutes. OK, so D, D and Steve and I sat together a little while ago and put 10 tips together for anyone kind of, involved in this kind of ministry, very practical and very important. Um, we'll try and do it in under 10 minutes. You can, t- you can test this. But our idea was we'll finish off with 10 top tips in 10 minutes. And at this point, so in 10 minutes, we're going to go for response. So just just be aware of that. Okay.
1: Thanks, Miles. No pressure there. Is there? Um, <laughs> um, so some of these uh, tips are clearly from our own learning process and our own mistakes. So uh, number one, If you're thinking about starting anything or or you're involved in something, clarity about vision. Um, Every church leader, trustee, elder uh, will need to know not just that you've got a heart for it, um, but that administratively you've thought about it, you've thought about the issues, um, uh, target group that you're you're seeking to reach, uh, those sorts of things. Um, You will face difficulties and frustrations, even opposition. Um, if you haven't put down your vision, make it plain, um, then you will tend to get some drift when, when problems occur. Um, be clear about what you're doing and why, with aims, objectives and resources. Um, another good, good uh, publication is Nigel Ring's uh, The Poor Deserve the Best. Uh, really is, if you're going to start something, has, we've used it in terms of pro, uh, proposals that we that we submit to the eldership, um, keep, you know, uh, so clarity about your vision, and it actually helps you to, if you've got a vision, you've got a heart for something, to put it down and, and work it through. Um, the second part is involve church leadership. Um, most People who have a heart for the poor tend to think that that's the thing in church, uh, or can tend to think that. I would say communicate, communicate to your leadership, to your eldership. Um, recently, Adrian Burks uh, became lead elder at Honiton when Andy Cottingham left to go to Bristol, and within six months, I was having coffee with him, and I said, right, Adrian, what's your, what's your vision for the church? How, what sort of church do you want to build? I caught his heart um, for, for the, the vision for the church, and in that conversation, he caught my heart. We're now working together to build church. It's important. Uh, we talked about prayer and seeking God. When we first started 12, 13 years ago, we started with a prayer team. Six people, like-minded, like-hearted. We were supporting prisoners and their families, and we started with that core prayer team. And some of those people uh, are still with us, praying with us. Some of them are now leading projects. Start with that prayer team. Um, if, if you're diligent with the small things, God will bring the increase. Uh, for, number four is clear leadership. Uh, every ministry or project needs a leader, someone who has experience and that people are happy and safe to follow. Um, Acts 6 uh, says, men and women of repute, leadership is a gift, uh, and leaders are a gift to the church. They will have a strong personal relationship with God and require grace and wisdom to be able to function from their own spiritual resources. So not much uh, input into them. They can, they can function, they can lead uh, from, if you like, their own spiritual well, or their own resources within God. Um, and they need to possess common sense, not be super spiritual. They need to ensure that the team are safe physically. Um, and also, they're able to see the big picture as well as the detail. So they can see where they're going, but they also need to see how they can get there. And uh, one, of the, one of the great things is that leaders dis- display grace under pressure because pressure will come. Okay, calm in a crisis. Number five, build team. So we've talked about training. So uh, building team will be including general training and specific training. General training will be things like safeguarding and confidentiality. Specific training will be say, uh, asylum seekers, uh, alcoholism, those sorts of things. Making sure that we're getting trained. the team that you're—I I would say—always build team. Be build people around you if you're thinking of leading. Maybe you're not your job to lead. You may carry the vision, but it may be not your job to lead. It may not be the what God's calling you to do. Uh, team made up of people with gifting and passion. They need to love the people that they're going to be uh, supporting or working with. And they—and then they need to find out more about them. And if you're leading. Please ensure that the, the team that you have, the people in the team, have appropriate oversight, um, that they have appropriate training, but also that you spend time, some informal time with them. We have uh, socials that we take our team uh, volunteers on, and we just, we just connect with them. It's a great thing to do. Um, perseverance is number six. Uh, when times get tough, you'll need to return to God and you will need team around you if you're a leader, and you will need leaders around you who stir faith in you. Um, so if you like, I have supervision with one of uh, our elders, and uh, he can say some difficult things to me uh, that challenge me, but also stir faith um, to, to, uh, to, to keep going. Uh, these are the things you need to, to think about. And if I think the, the uh, secular term is continuous personal development that actually the, the, these, these people around me are looking that I'd keep developing, that we keep going. And I think if you have somebody on team, you want to, you want to engender that sort of culture. Um, okay, and also, if you're, if you're taking time for people in team, uh, look out for potential leaders um, because actually, two things. One, if D and I aren't in the country or are on holiday, we want to know that that things will will still keep going with the projects uh, back home. Uh, But also, we're building sustainability so that when we're gone, we're a bit wrinkly now, but when we're gone, uh, that there's another generation coming through that we've discipled who will take it uh, further than we have. Number seven is scale. How do you eat an elephant? This is Miles. That (laughs) you—he's not an elephant. (laughs) No, it's me. (laughs) Uh, How do you eat an elephant? You eat one bite at a time. So start small, like we did with a a team of half a dozen, perhaps, and then see what God does with you. Pray, pray, pray. Um, Managing expectations is number eight. I think um, let's just drop away all the expectations we might have on people that we're supporting. Uh, They they don't want to be made to feel like they're a project Um, and certainly uh, we don't want them to perform or feel like they have to perform to gain our approval or acceptance. So so let's let's drop all that away from them. Um, Perhaps reduce our expectations on ourselves that we're not driven people um, and that we have to drive this forward um, and using somebody to do it. But actually, increase our expectations about what God is doing. Um, Look for step changes in somebody's life. Uh, This is this is part of our review process where we see somebody um, who perhaps wasn't managing part of their life one week, and in three weeks' time, that's changed. And so, and so, it's it's that's that's that uplift that we want to see in people's lives. Say, so building resilience and capacity within them to manage their life um, better or more appropriately. Number nine is build relationship. We have a high value on relationship. You don't have the right. We do not have the right to speak into somebody's life unless we have relationship with them. Don't assume that you can say something. Uh, I would use words of knowledge and those sorts of things, use sparingly, and ask for wisdom before you deliver them. Um, I have done that, but I'm I'm very cautious about that. We don't necessarily have the right to do that. Jesus, Jesus built relationship. The disciples built relationship. It's important that we get to know the person. Um, For instance, uh, I've been supporting a guy for about four years, who comes from social housing. Um, and I think uh, middle-class people tend to trust more readily. Um, he does not. He was, uh, he's come from a background of abuse, he's been a rent boy, he's done drugs, uh, he's living in social housing. For him, he doesn't know who to trust. As soon as he steps outside the, the front door, it's a war zone. He doesn't know what's gonna happen or who might be saying what, or whatever rumors are going around the estate. So uh, it's taken him four years to actually ask me what I believe because he's starting to trust me. We've got to be in, in it for the long haul for building relationships. Uh, 10 is maintain perspective. It's the project or the, or the team are not your life. Um, please take time out, enjoy the abundant life that Jesus has given you. It's not your project, it's not your ministry, it's his. Hold it lightly and and just move with god don't make the whatever you're doing the center of it because otherwise that can become an idol jesus is the center so miles should we pray
0: that's great thank you and you did it 10 minutes very well done steve that's great look as we as we draw to a, kind of a close i mean i think it's um it's really important just to reflect actually this is an exciting journey if this is on your heart then you're in for an exciting journey um, no matter what stage you might be at, whether it's right at the beginning, I'm just thinking about getting into this, or whether it's you know I'm a long way down, it's you know it's exciting. It has its ups and its downs, but actually when you see the the transforming work of Christ in someone's life, even if it's just a stepwise change, it's it's phenomenal, and it it just drives you to to want to be to want to be involved. So so what we want to do is just spend the last few minutes. We we haven't got time for Q and A, I'm afraid. Um, oh well, I've lost the rest of my notes. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um... The spirit of the sovereign lord is on me to preach good news to the poor that's why you've come to this session isn't it um we want to be impactful the people that god's put on your heart it's all about it is all about people as steve said it's all about relationships all about people that the, and what as god has done to, in your heart for me it was it was a it was a it was an encounter with a lady in a, in a village in north uganda whose child was dying um, that started me on the journey of, of, wh- of where I am now and realizing and seeing God's heart and seeing what God sort of placed on me for, for my own personal journey. It'll, starts with, it'll start with people. And that's where Jesus started. He started with people. And so if we want to be equipped, it's not going to be just through words. You know, we've had to compete with the, the drumming this afternoon. You'll have heard some of the words. Some of them may have drifted out. It's very hot in here. Actually, we want you to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's been here all through the afternoon. As, you know, as you've gone through the different areas of this afternoon, he's been here. And he may have been touching you or speaking to you about very specific things, maybe something that's landed with you, maybe you're not even still quite sure what God is doing. But I just want to spend the last 10 minutes actually just in response and trying to hear from God um, and for, for us to pray for you. Um, some of the ministry team from, um, have very kindly kind of come along for the afternoon. They're, they're able, willing and able to pray for you. So if you're able to, actually, I think it would be good, now, you have been sitting still for a long time, be good, actually, if you could just stand um, and just wait on God for a minute. We're going to pray for you. There's a couple of things I want to share. There might be a couple of things that Stephen D and Pauline want to share as well. Um, and I'll just say now, just be open to what, what God has been saying to you through this afternoon. So let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Let's, let's close our eyes. Let's just maybe open our, open our hands up to God, and I'm just going to pray. And uh, there are then two things I want to call people to respond to.